Colts, and you're listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 43 for the week of October 28th, 2020. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, October 28th, the moon is in the evening sky, bright and 90% illuminated. The moon will be full and I'm not making this up, on Halloween, October 31st. That is also the second full moon in the calendar month of October, which means it is a blue moon. The term blue moon indicates a rare occurrence, such as once in a blue moon. Blue moon originally meant the third full moon when there are four full moons in a season, such as winter, spring, summer, or fall. We will have one of those in August of next year. But over the past few decades, the definition of blue moon has changed to mean the second full moon in a calendar month. Well, we had a full moon on October 1st, and the second one is on October 31st. This type of blue moon occurs every 2.7 years, so it is rare. The moon does not appear blue, so don't look for a blue color on the moon. In fact, astronomers generally don't care what the full moon is called. To most of us, it's just another full moon. The same with the names for the full moons each month, such as the snow moon or pink moon the flower moon, strawberry moon, sturgeon moon, harvest moon, and cold moon. Those are moon words made up to describe the month or season each particular moon is in, and it does not describe the moon itself. In fact, to astronomers, every full moon could be called the bright moon. On its way to full moon, the moon passes south of Mars on October 29th. By the end of our week, Tuesday, November 3rd, the moon will be just a few days past full and rising shortly after the sky darkens each evening. At full moon, October 31st, from mid-northern latitudes, the moon rises only about a half hour later each night. So each night will seem like a repeat of the night before. Sky darkens, moon low in the east. Groundhog Day on Halloween. With a moon lingering in the eastern sky this week, let's try something we did last month. Let's watch birds fly against the silhouette of the moon. From most locations, if you watch the moon through a telescope or binoculars for 20 minutes, you'll see some birds or even some bats flying across the moon. Use a moon filter or stop down the aperture of your telescope so it's not so bright and see what you can see. 
give it 20 minutes. Our morning sky has both the winter Milky Way and the bright planet Venus rising before twilight. This Saturday night, Sunday morning, most of the United States switches to standard time. They have been on daylight savings time since March 8th, nearly nine months ago. So daylight savings time lasts nearly three times longer than standard time. Maybe they should change the names. By the way, Europe did the same exercise last weekend. Well, for the U.S., Halloween is on October 31st, a Saturday. And that night, before you go to bed, set your clocks back an hour. Then you can stay up for another hour. Then go to bed, but don't set your clocks back a second time. This time change affects almost everyone, but perhaps no one as much as astronomers. This time change will affect what times they work, so their work hours will change. So if it was getting dark at your house at 7 p.m. each evening, and that time is slowly getting earlier each night, suddenly it gets dark at 6 p.m. So you can begin your evening observations an hour earlier. Now, what happens in the mornings? If the morning twilight was beginning at 5.30 and that time was slowly getting later each morning, twilight will now begin at 4.30. So if you're getting out of bed to see stuff in the morning sky, set your clock for an hour earlier than you did before. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, October 28th and runs through Tuesday, November 3rd? It all depends upon location, location, location. Your location, the ISS location, and the sun's location. This week we have four zones. For those living north of about 37 degrees north, the ISS will be in your morning sky all week long from 37 degrees north to 20 degrees south, and that's much of the world, the International Space Station will not be visible at all this week. Between 55 degrees south and 20 degrees south, it will be in your evening sky for the whole week or, or for most of the week. South of 55 degrees south, the ISS will not be visible at all. To determine where the International Space Station can be seen in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. We have been reviewing a book that I wrote in 1985. It is entitled A Decade of Comets. It is a comprehensive study of the 33 comets visually discovered from 1975 through 1984. This series began in Podcast 34. The book has six parts, and this week we begin Part 5, The Discoverers. The book is available free from my website, donmockholtz.com, and downloadable in sections. This week, download Podcast 43, A Decade of Comets, Part 5. 
When I was considering searching for comets in late 1974, and then officially systematically started searching on January 1st, 1975, I thought there were a good number of people out there searching for comets. I asked around my local astronomy club, the Mount Diablo Astronomical Society in Concord, California, and no one was searching for comets. Well, maybe at some of the other clubs. As it turned out, I knew no one personally who was searching for comets. In time, I learned that John Bordel, a comet expert observer from New York State, was searching, as was Clay Sherrard and Paul Malley, and that was about it in the United States. I knew that William Bradfield of Australia was searching, and so was John Bennett of South Africa. In Japan, there were many amateurs visually finding comets. They all had found comets, so I knew they were searching. Often, and this happened again and again, I would not know who was searching for a comet until they found one. Suddenly, I would receive a telegram with someone's name on it saying they had discovered a comet of such and such brightness at such and such position. The internet was not active at the time, so I would call Dr. Marsden of the Central Bureau of Astronomical Telegrams and find out about the discoverer. In some cases, I would finally meet them, but I seldom travel, let alone travel overseas, so most of the comet discoverers I've, I've never met. And may I say that when I began comet hunting, I did not let the astronomy community know about it. First, I had decided to give it a try for a few months to a year and see if that was really what I wanted to do. Why say that I was doing something if I was going to stop doing it soon and move on to some other area of astronomy? Secondly, I had not found any comets and discovering a comet is considered by many to be the only sign of a successful comet hunter. So if I were to say, oh, I hunt comets, they might say, ha ha, you are a comet hunter, but you haven't found anything yet. That's not how comet hunters see it. Comet hunters do not allow their pursuit to depend upon finding or not finding comets. The serious ones, those who systematically search for comets, learn to count hours and consistency rather than comet discoveries. You can control those things, getting out of bed, sweeping the heavens, improving your system, advancing your techniques. You are in control of those things, but you are not in control of where the new comets are located, nor how bright they are. And you're certainly not in control of what other astronomers are doing. So don't get bothered over things you cannot control and work on those that you can. So from the start, I decided to count hours, not comets. For instance, I have searched the sky for 8,717.5 hours since January 1st, 1975. 
And that is the time that my eye is to the eyepiece. That has taken 5,004 comet hunting sessions. And I have swept the sky for 550 consecutive months. That is, each month in the past 45 years, 10 months, I have done at least one hour of comet hunting. My average is 15 hours per month. But I did more hours in my first few years, and then many years with about 100 hours each. Now I'm back up to perhaps 200 hours this year. For those interested in my comet hunting history, hours and, and so on, download Podcast 3, Comet Hunting for 2020, Hours and Comets. That's under Podcast 3 on my website. I have found comet hunters to be humble and helpful. Some people think that we think of ourselves as better than others, but I just don't see that. We're just like most everyone else, with jobs to go to, families to raise, bills to pay. Something else I've learned, and I would say it from time to time, the only people who care about how many comets you have discovered are other comet hunters and your mother. Then I began to realize that my mom kept forgetting my comet count. Three more things. We comet hunters compete against each other because there is a limited number of undiscovered comets out there. And once it is discovered and named, then that comet is now discovered. And you, or I in this case, have to look for another undiscovered comet. Missing out on a comet discovery can be depressing. And I've learned that not just from my own experience, but from other comet hunters. And when that happens, I always analyze why I missed that comet and how to prevent it from happening again. In fact, the motivation behind the book, A Decade of Comets, is based on that. But even though we compete, we respect each other because we know what it takes to discover a comet. And it is not easy. Comet hunting programs take creativity, wisdom, and intelligence. Comet hunters do not go out each night and aimlessly poke here and there around the sky hoping to find something. No, there is a system to the search, and the best comet hunters continue to improve on it. Second, there are those in the astronomy community who think that comet hunting is a waste of time. And they are not afraid to say so to me and to other comet hunters. Well, to each his own. I enjoy the search and the challenge, and I do not consider it to be a waste of time for me. Finally, there are a few out there who are jealous of the comet hunter's discoveries. I was slow to catch on to this, as sometimes I can be socially not up to speed. A friend or spouse might say to me, Did you know that that guy just insulted you with what he said? And I think, oh, okay, I guess that's why they said that. Often it will be a member of the astronomy club who, who just wants to get in a snide remark. Okay, again, whatever. Sometimes I think, if you took the time to hunt for comets, you could find them too. So having said that, let's look at the comet discoverers in the book A Decade of Comets. 
of the 33 comets discovered during that decade, 1975 through 1984, 26 individuals discovered a comet that bears their name. 21 of those 26 found their first comet during this decade, with many going on to find more comets since then. Some comets have more than one name, and some discoverers found more than one comet. William Bradfield alone found 10 of his comets during this decade. His lifetime total would end up being 18 comets. So with some of the comets having more than one name, on 45 occasions, a person's name was attached to a comet. That gives us 45 data points. 45 times a person happened upon a new comet and reported it and got his name on it. All of the discoverers were male. Ages and years range from the low 20s to the high 60s. At least eight of the 26 individuals have, have since passed away. In almost all cases, they were searching for a comet when they found it. Table 11 in the book, pages 85 and 86, outline each discovery with the discoverer's name, North or South Hemisphere, country, comet count for the decade, and the comet count for their lifetime. This data is further analyzed in the upcoming pages. 25 of the comets were found by only one discoverer. Three were found by two discoverers, and five were found by three discoverers and three names on the comet is the maximum number of names you can have on a comet. Only one comet, 1978J, was found by an astronomer in the Northern Hemisphere and by an astronomer in the Southern Hemisphere. All the other comets were found by astronomers in either the North or South Hemisphere, even when three observers found it. The Southern Hemisphere, of the Earth had only four discoverers, and together they found 14 comets. Bradfield alone found 10 of those 14. The Northern Hemisphere, where there was a lot of competition, the Northern Hemisphere had 22 discoverers who made 31 finds. Next, we look at the countries in which the discoverers resided. Fully one-third of the 45 times a name went onto a comet, it was someone in Japan. Next was Australia with 11, followed by the United States with six. As for the number of individual comet discoverers living in each country, Japan had 10, the US had six, and Australia and England had two each. In all, only nine countries were represented by visual comet discoveries during this decade. Next week, we will finish part five by discussing the number of hours it takes to find a comet and the instruments that were used to find them. Now for the comets that you can see this week. The positions, that is the right ascension and declination of these comets, can be found on podcast 41 Comet Positions. Comet Howell, ADHP, magnitude 9, is in our evening sky 
And with the moon soon to exit the evening sky, this is the best comet to see later this week. It is plotted on Podcast 43, Map 1. In the morning sky, we have Comet 2020 M3 Atlas just south of Orion. It is plotted on Podcast 43, Map 2. But beginning this weekend, the moon will interfere with observations. Comet 2020 S3 Erasmus is now magnitude 10 and also in our morning sky. It continues to brighten. It's plotted on podcast 43, map 2, but note that the moon will also share the sky with the comet as we go through the week. Finally, comet 2020 P1 Neowise survived perihelium and is now fading rapidly in the morning sky. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 43 for October 28, 2020. I'm Don Mockholtz. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's going on in the night sky and the comet discoverers from a decade of comets. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.